Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago. Today's podcast will be a two-part podcast. Part one will be with Emily Beck, who is the writer and director of a wonderful and powerful play that's running at the Piven Theater Workshop. The play is Number of People. Hello, Emily. Hi there. Great. Tell us about how this play emerged. Well, it, it came from a, a, a number of different places for me. Uh, one was um, that I was home with a colicky baby, which will not make sense to everybody, uh, but it, it's sort of like being isolated and stranded in your own home. And a lot of stuff was going on at that time. Uh, George W. Bush was president. We were talking about going to war in Iraq. Uh, there was a genocide going on in Darfur that wasn't being acknowledged as a genocide. And there were so many things that I felt like I couldn't even give voice to because I could barely get out of my own house. And so I just started writing. And one of the things that uh, was really important to me uh, in, as a basis for this project was uh, this loss of memory that I felt that we as a society were experiencing, um, that we were not acknowledging this genocide, and I couldn't understand how we could forget such recent uh, forms of that that had taken place, not just the Holocaust, but all through all throughout history, really. Uh, it just doesn't seem to stop. It goes from one place to another. And so that's basically what jump-started the project for me. Wow. that's. Uh, but what you did with it was, I thought, was, was tremendous because uh, you, you got us on the... Uh, tell us about the character because he's the statistician. Right. Yeah. Right. He's a statistician. You know, at the time we were also at war in Afghanistan, as we still are. And I kept reading reports where uh, statistics would be quoted, and they would always be statistics about the Americans, because our press, you know, covers uh, what's important to us here in this country. But what's odd to me about that is that we don't consider it important, the number of Afghanistan people who were affected by it, or the people, the soldiers from other countries who had come to join us. And uh, it it struck me that statistics, statistics were such an odd way of telling a story that involved so much more than just the obvious numbers. Um, that that, and I'm sort of paraphrasing lines from the play here, but that one life touches so many other lives, and that when you list the number, the statistic of the dead or the the injured, or the homeless, that you you don't get the the vast uh, story of it, the pain of it, the the loss for so many different people. Yeah, and, the numbers marginalize the people. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. They take away the face, they take away the voice. And so in making Leo not just a, a survivor of the Holocaust, but also a statistician who looked at the other genocides of the 20th century, he sort of um, played both sides of it for the audience. Yeah, plus your, I love your use of... Uh, my wife was an eight, and this person was a mm-hmm. one, and in making all those uh, value judgments, sort of, with numbers. That's right. It's numbers are means so much to him that they go 
they actually go beyond any kind of use that, that we think of, that he actually sees people as numbers and not in a quantitative way, but in a qualitative way. So yeah. that makes him a bit a bit different. And the thing about statistics is there there's this this difficult conversation over it anyway um, about how uh, how analytical you can be with it when it only tells this small part of the story. Yeah. Um, how did you model uh, to have a one-person play? How did it emerge to be a one-person play? Well, part of it is that I realized it was really important to me that this character speak directly to the audience that uh, one of the things I wanted to address was the role that we all play when, when these things are going on in our world, that it's easy to feel distant from it or, or voiceless from whatever is going on. Um, you, you think, well, I'm just one person, and what can I do? Um, and so we, we all play this role. So even with this genocide in Darfur, the fact that it's going on and and I feel like sitting in my home with my colicky baby, what can I possibly do about this? But I'm still a witness to it. It's still going on in my time, in my world. And so I bear some responsibility. Yeah, he t- you, you talk about that. And yeah. did, did you model uh, the Leo character on anyone you knew? No, not really. I did a lot of research um, with uh, survivors of genocides, and, and obviously, in particular, the Holocaust. And, and so I listened to a lot of different voices. Um, there were a few people in, in my life that I sort of took strands from. Um, I'm very interested in people's idiosyncrasies, and Leo's got a lot of those. And, and uh, that's what makes him real human, and, and, and yes. where we really relate to him. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I can tell you this: you captured it because I uh, two things that, 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 from my experience that really made the play resonate for me was uh, that I had met a Holocaust uh, survivor who was starting to tell me stories when I was like 16 or 17, way back in the 60s. And you talk about that look that they get. Mm-hmm. He had that look. Yeah. And the other one was I experienced a, a very good friend of mine's father who who uh, lived in an apartment complex, I and I used to check on him. Um, he was getting early Alzheimer's, and mm-hmm. I could see where he would, different sounds or different things would happen, and he would be back. He was from Ireland. He'd be back in Ireland in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So you captured that rather well. Well, thank you. Thank you. So what? Uh, so what? What? What do you think audiences uh, should be getting out of uh, out of number number of people? Hmm. Well, I certainly hope that they, um, you know, I, I hope on just a, a a very base level that they're moved by the play, obviously. Um, but I also hope that there's a sense of a shared responsibility, that there's a social reaction to the message of the play that we're all in this together. And, you know, Leo talks about, oh, we're all the bad guys. You know, and I think that's a choice that we can make. We can be the bad guys or we can be the good guys. And I'm, I'm simplifying it here, but... Um, you oh, you, it's very, you present it quite powerfully in the, in the play. Well, thank you. So tell us how it is to, uh, or how you arrive at the decision to, to uh, have your father act in the play and you direct him. That has to be unique. 
Well, not all of it was my decision. I, I certainly wrote the play to his voice. Once I started writing it, I realized that it was so perfect for, for Bernie to do. Um, and, and it made it really interesting uh, in the writing of the play to, to tailor it to him. Um, it certainly helped form the character, even though the character is not Bernie. It's, it's something that I knew his voice would reach. Um, so I, although I wrote it for him, uh, and he did the first reading of it, I didn't know that we'd ever be able to have a production of it. And when uh, the Piven Theater decided to do it, they asked me to direct it. And I, I said, are you sure you want me to direct it? Um, but I'm so glad that they asked me to do it. Not that I'm not a director, but I think sometimes to direct your own piece and particularly, you know, being so close to the material here, uh, I, I want to be careful about it. I want to Yeah, it's sure. dangerous to do in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my my dad and I, I grew up with my dad doing theater in Chicago and so spent a lot of time in audiences and backstage and hanging out with actors and uh, it, Bernie and I have a vocabulary that stretches way back, a conversation that is ongoing. And so to direct him in this was a wonderful, wonderful experience um, because we have terrific communication and we also feel very comfortable challenging each other. So it wasn't, so the line of, uh, of uh, daughter or father uh, didn't get in the way. It didn't. It didn't. You know, my father has, has always treated me with a lot of respect. And even when I was a little girl, he would, he would ask my opinion. He was very interested in how I was perceiving the work that he or other people were doing in the theater. And, and in that way, he really gave me a voice so that it wasn't just me taking on his thoughts but us actually engaging in a conversation. And so that just really continued here. Um, there wasn't a struggle for some kind of power or authority. It, it really was just a continued wonderful conversation that well, we've been having all these years. So you're getting first shot. I'm going to be talking to him later. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> how did you guys arrive at, at some of the, the, the physicality and some of the, the, the blocking and movement because... It it you know to have somebody sit in a chair or stand and, and talk to the audience for ninety minutes is is a stretch no matter how good the material yeah. is, <laughs> but his humanity and his ability I mean he's crawling on the floor he's mm -hmm. pouring water on his head and I mean he's doing lots of things. Mm -hmm. How did you guys uh, arrive at all that? Well, a lot of it is in the script, okay. and and it was I mean not all the blocking, but certainly some of the crawling and and some of the 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 points at which he falls to the floor or or when when he splashes water on himself that's that's all in the script, and those are important moments you know dramatically in terms of what's happening to leo psychologically um but Bernie, Bernie really, uh, th there were so many things that came up for him as we rehearsed that were beautiful gestures that I just didn't even touch. I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything about them. The master actor at work. Huh? That's right. You don't want to, there are things that you don't want to draw attention to because you just want the actor to do whatever's coming naturally to him. And he's also a professor or was a professor, and so he's kind of used to being up in front of people and, and, and talking. Um, 
But we also had a fantastic set to work with. Yes. And this space that allowed us just to explore the depths of it and to move around. And, and even in that very intimate space, you know, if you took a couple steps to the left or to the right, you found yourself in a completely different environment almost. I love the sound work, too, because uh, it seemed to me that the different sounds cued him for different memories, either to bring him back or to bring him you know, back to where he was uh, or back to reality or Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was very pleased with the sound. Um, uh, you know, I'm very lucky because my husband is a sound designer, and we get to work together often, and and so we are in in close conversation uh, to work on that kind of design months and months and months in advance. And the thing that he did that was so beautiful is um, that he modeled the music he composed. Um, it was based on music that had been composed at Theresienstadt, which was the camp, mm-hmm. their sort of model camp where they had all the artists. Yeah. Um, and That's so, where I'd heard it before because I've seen several movies and documentaries about that. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. Okay. I so knew he, I was trying to remember where the music was from. I had well, heard it before. Well, he, he took this lullaby, this Oifen Pripachik lullaby, which is a very common Yiddish lullaby that also then was used later on um, uh, but th- that's sort of another story. But he took that theme and and composed it in in this style of of a string trio that this style that that is very familiar from Theresienstadt. Wow. Well, you know, I cannot tell people. I, I, people ask me what's a good show in town, and and I'm promoting your show quite a bit because I think it's powerful, and I think it's an important piece of theater. I so appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. No, very it really, much. it it really was, and and uh, uh, to to see uh, family working together is kind of unique in this town. <laughs> and at the Piven Theater, which has a sort of a history of that. That's right. You know. That's right. Where I I feel very fortunate that, to have their support and to have been able to do this there. Well, I hope special. this play uh, gets around the country, and I think. Uh, uh, high school and college kids need to need to see this play, and certainly every actor needs uh, he to see is, it. He is doing an amazing performance. I I am so impressed. I I know his work, and and he's always been at the top of my list, of course. But this this is really really powerful work that he's doing. Yeah, anybody that can hold an audience by himself for ninety minutes and still convey. Uh, the humanity he does, and 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 an important message. I mean, that's just getting through it is, 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 you know, is thrilling. Yeah, absolutely, and such a physical show. Yeah, it's it. He's really he's just doing tremendous work out there. He certainly has. Well, I want to save the rest of our time so to t- to talk to your father about yes. it. I appreciate you coming on and uh, keep up the great work because we need good writers. Thank you so much. Thank it's, you, folks. It's and a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, folks, and we will be back with you in a moment. Hello, this is Tom Williams, and this is part two of this week's uh, podcast. And the guest is Bernard Beck, who is the star of Number of People, which I think is one of the one of the terrific one-person shows. Hello, Bernie. Hi. Tell us about Number of People so that we can get some people to come out and, and see this marvelous show. 
Well, this is a project that's been a long time in development, and my part of it was for most of the early years being an appreciative reader. Uh, I gave various suggestions, but essentially this was Emily operating on her own with that marvelous gift that she has. And uh, only late in the game did it become possible to think about uh, that I might do it. And once I heard that, and once I got that idea, I couldn't rest before that happened. And uh, as with any new work, uh, we had to go hunting around who's going to do it, and we finally wound up, so to speak, at home. Well, she told me earlier that, that, that at a certain point, she saw you in the role. She, right. she wrote it for you at a, at, a, at a certain point. Right, but only at a certain point. She didn't start out to do that. Right. And so it was, I was very honored because when I read it, <clears throat> I thought it was uh, a marvelous piece and uh, that it would be something that I would be very pleased to, to actually uh, go on the stage with. Uh, but you never know with the new work who's going to want to do it and where and under what circumstances. Well, you are, you're the perfect one to do it, there's no doubt. Give us a little a capitalization of what, uh, of what the story is. Right. This is a play about many different things. This is uh, a guy who's aging and who has had uh, quite a life. He started off early on uh, in uh, camps in, uh, during the Holocaust somehow got out of there and spent the rest of his life becoming an expert student of genocide and such uh, other uh, horrifying events around the world. Uh, so it's about the Holocaust. It's also about the continuing pattern of genocide that we find in history after the Holocaust. It's about the use of research and of uh, statistics as a way of coming to grip with awful things. And he's a statistician, right? Right. He's, um, he's a statistician, uh, but he could go by uh, one of many other names. He's in that field, not that different from a social demographer who might be a sociologist or a social geographer. Uh, when it comes to material like this, those disciplinary boundaries don't necessarily hang on. And as you can hear from what I'm talking about, uh, it was particularly meaningful to me because I spent, I've had the best day gig in the world for an actor. I was a professor at Northwestern teaching and doing research in sociology for many, many years. In fact, I came to this area to do that. And only once I was here did I stumble into the huge resources, the huge possibility that Chicago was for the development of theater and oh, yeah. the development of me as an actor. Everything I know, I learned here. Wow. So you talk about having a day gig. You had quite a nice day gig. Yes. Yeah, right. That's, that's amazing. So a lot of people know you as the professor. Right, <laughs> right. Okay, so that's very so, – so you can relate in a, in a way to, to Leo. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Right. Uh, and there are, there are many other parts of the play that uh, where Emily used events from my life or the family's life as a starting point or in order to, um, to round it out. Like that whole uh, episode in Sweden is based on the fact that during 1963, when uh, Kennedy was assassinated, 
uh, her mother and I were uh, for a year in actually more in Denmark than in Sweden, but throughout Scandinavia. And a couple of uh, little tales that we have, have told her over the years show up there. She's made them mean what she wanted them to. But that special sense of the concreteness of the visit to Scandinavia, mm-hmm. I feel like that, that was, she mined that from our uh, past history. She is a very good listener. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, she obviously is. Uh, one of the things I appreciated, as I told her, I had some experience with meeting a Holocaust survivor when I was a teen. That, mm-hmm. that actually, you know, the Irish Catholic kid from the Northwest Side, what did I know about that? Right. And, and of course, they didn't teach it. And he tuned me into the Leon Erz books and the, the history of it and started telling me. So when you go into that bit about the look that, mm-hmm. the, that the survivors have, I knew exactly what, because I've seen that. It, it is right. amazing. And the way you captured it. Uh, also, the, the the thing about memory that I liked is is that he goes in and out of sort of a dementia, doesn't he? Right. Right. So he's really caught in a very strange place with his memory suddenly deserting him, even his consciousness of where he is exactly and who people are. At the same time, all sorts of deeply buried memories are suddenly coming to the surface. And they're they're cute. A lot of them are cued by by the sound. I, I was complimenting yes. her on the sound work was fabulous. Right. Well, we uh, we went out. We chose uh, a, a husband for Emily very carefully, someone <laughs> who could contribute to the <laughs> to the work. Her husband Jack, just uh, our good fortune, and our good fortune because he's a terrific guy, and because he's a splendid composer and and very capable in the sound department generally. Yeah, and the lullaby and so forth. It was just, it, it was just right. technically done. I mean, you are to be complimented, and I want to get in a little detail of how you approach a one-person show where you're the only guy on the stage for 90 minutes and you mm-hmm. have to hold us and, 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 you know, and captivate us. Yes, it's, it's quite a challenge. And what I found the, the most challenging was just to get the words right and to get them down. I spent oh, uh, virtually uh, six months trying to get them, and I just barely made it as, as it was. It's amazing to commit to memory that much. Material. Yeah, and what do you, you, I guess, thank God that she used the sound in it, because otherwise, what do you do if you start yeah, going up on your lines? <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. It's a very helpful cue. When you're on stage, no matter how big a part you have, when you're on stage with somebody else, you have a partner to help you if things get rough. When you're up there by yourself, you not only don't have that help, you don't have the sense that there's help nearby. So it is very challenging. And the good part of that was that the challenge just of mastering the lines meant that all sorts of other anxieties and uh, ambiguities that might have come up didn't. Uh, something to focus on. And the way I put it is that Emily did such a good job of writing that all I had to do was follow her lead. Well, and she, that's not always true when you get a, a piece of material. Yeah, and the blocking I thought was terrific because this is a very physical show for you too. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. which is just as well <laughs> to keep my circulation going. Well, and and like I said, I've had, I had also had experience with a a father of a very good friend of mine who was going in and out of uh, 
uh, Alzheimer's, and mm-hmm. he was from Ireland, and we think he was involved with the Irish Revolution or something in the 20s because he right. would go back and forth. Uh, and the strangest things would, would cue him. So when I saw you doing that, it, you, I mean, it made it so real for me. It, yeah. It, it was yeah. scary. I mean, not only was Emily a terrific writer, she was also a terrific director and really led me into a lot of those subtleties, uh, things that I thought I knew about the play that I found out uh, in the process of rehearsal. I Either she wanted to go in a different direction or there was more going on there than I had realized. And in general, I try to take the attitude that there's one director on a show and to put myself at the disposal of that director as much as possible. How did it work when it was your daughter? Because I asked her that question, too, and she gave a good answer. Sure. Well, my answer is that it worked as I thought it would, beautifully, perfectly. That doesn't mean that we agreed on everything. It meant that when we didn't agree, we could discuss it briefly. Everybody would express what they had to say, and then I would do what she wanted. Uh, And very often the discussion was merely to clear my head of the preconceptions I'd come with. I'd have to sort of talk myself through that and into what she was asking and and seeing it from her perspective. So there was obviously a major trust there for you. Yeah. Yes. Would you say that's important for an actor to have a trust with the director? It's important. It's not absolutely necessary. Every actor can tell you stories about working with directors that scared the life out of them or they thought was going to... uh, uh, create ruin for them, and then everything worked out fine. So yeah, actors are a hardy bunch. <laughs> they, they can work under, they have to work under all sorts of strange conditions, but I didn't, I didn't have a moment's hesitation, and I didn't have a moment of regret on this. Well, let me just say, the one thing I would say is Emily is a superb director of young actors, inexperienced actors, and actors whose training has not been complete. Uh, so sometimes she would make the point uh, a little longer and in a little more detail than was necessary. But that's a, <laughs> but that's you, a you, minor thing to worry about. Well, that's a good thing. That means she's a, she's a teaching director, too. Yes, and yes, boy, we need these with, with a lot of the young actors. In oh, town. absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and as I tell them, just, just the, the articulation and the enunciation seems yes. to be falling down and then and then when we go see you know i'm an old i'm a gray-haired guy and i see another i see gray-haired men and women on the stand boy are they articulate <laughs> right <laughs> it, and they project and you hear every word and then the nuances right well you either you either learn that because you studied it somewhere or you learn that over many years because you discover what doesn't work what uh, what advice would you give? Because in the interest of time, I want yeah. I always like to get this question into to veteran actors who I respect. What advice would you give to young actors who are contemplating either uh, writing their own one person play or or just doing a one person play? Because I know actors that are scared to death of doing it. Right. There's, so far as I can tell, there's only one way to do it, and that's to write a lot and expect to write a lot of stuff that's awful and just to keep going and not be discouraged by whatever comes out at the beginning. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a unique kind of talent or craft, and you have to exercise it a lot to get it, to get it right. So just do a lot. I mean, 
what I know from every corner of my life where writing has been involved, uh, the only way to write well is to write a lot. And mm-hmm. ultimately, at the end, you'll come out of it with, with some control, some mastery, and therefore the ability to say what you really want to say. Now, out of, in terms of uh, acting it out, do you recommend, as you do in your in your in your show, uh, where you have a lot of physicality and and you move around a lot, so so it, it's it's alive? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! But, but you do count on the director to know that, and usually they will know it better than you do, mm-hmm. uh, because their perspective is on what will this look like as a whole, how it, will it be received? So I hear you saying. Get a, get a director to help you. Don't try and do everything. Well, no, absolutely don't try to do everything, but certainly don't do nothing. Uh, <laughs> but remember that that's what the director is there for. Uh, and if for some reason the director is not doing it, yes, then you have to find a way to do that yourself and for several reasons. How do you uh, mentally and physically prepare for a, a weekend jaunt? Because it, it's mm. got to be exhausting. It is exhausting in the best possible way. It's exhausting in the way that's that, like an athlete who gives his all in the playing of a game comes off exhausted but exhilarated. So it's, it's not, it doesn't deplete me. It doesn't leave me uh, wrung out. Okay. Uh, I, feel, I feel tired, but in that absolutely you know, the best possible way, like I've just done something fulfilling and uh, uh, that leaves me in better shape than when I started. What has the audience reaction been in general? In general, the audience has been very sympathetic. They've, many people are moved. Many people are, are appreciative. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a better reception than I've had. Wow. Now, of course, the only ones that I get to hear from are the ones that have something good to say that want to hang around. What kind of energy do you feel when you're performing it from the audience? Uh, I feel that they are absolutely uh, focused on what's happening. They're, the audiences have been uh, very much involved. Uh, and uh, I guess, although there are a lot of emotions going on, the one that I seem to sense is the the impact of people just being... Uh, well, impact is the best word. Okay. Something is something is hitting them, and they're uh, silent about it. They're they're concerned with it. They're, a million things are going on with them. Now, I say that, given that I can't see them pretty much, and I'm busy with other things. <laughs> but I sense that you kind sense of it, concentration. Yeah. I sense. There are moments when I know what I'm about to do and say, well, where I sort of sympathize with the audience, say, oh, oh, here it comes, and they are really going to get this one right between the eyes. Yeah. Well, what gets, what gets me is it's a powerful piece without being hokey and sentimental. It's, it's right. real. I mean, this char- Leo is a real character. Very much so. And, and you are so truthful in this that... Wow. that uh, it, it's scary. I, I was almost worried in a few of the scenes. I was almost worried: is he acting, or is he has he really lost it? I mean, you really <laughs> had me so much. <laughs> and obviously, well, this interview that opening night, there were a couple of moments when 
<laughs> when I did <laughs> perhaps lose it. You were and fine. And I was fortunate in having uh, something where all of those things worked and were true to the character. Well, it's a it's a major achievement. I think it's an important piece, uh, and it's got a couple more weeks, folks, right. uh, at the Piven Theater through April 11th. And number of people is an important work, and and it's to me it's a master class on acting. And I keep telling the young actors, you got to get up there to to Evanston and see this play. Uh, you're going to be moved by it, and you, if you want to learn how to do a one person play, here's a guy wow. that knows how to do it. Well, it's amazing that I that I did as much as you say I did in realizing that because that certainly was my intention. I had to. I knew I had to pull out everything I had. Well, you sure thing work. you sure did, and it, and it's it, it, you and Emily should be very proud of this work. Yeah, we're very proud of each other. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it comes off. Well, thank you so much, and folks, sure. go my see pleasure. a play this week. Mm-hmm.